Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So this morning we're going to continue in the letters of John. You may see behind you. So can you first turn with me to 1 John 2, 7 to 11. I'm sorry, the scriptures aren't on the wall behind you. We're going old school today. But I can promise you that most of them, all except two, are in the letters of John. I'm reading from the NLT. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it, for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. Can you flip forward to 1 John 3, 11 to 14, please? <coughs> this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then again, just flip forward one more chapter, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, and then we'll jump to 1 John 4, 11. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And jump down to 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Yes, Are we sensing a theme? Yes. <clears throat> Loving one another. And John says it throughout his three letters again and again and again. He repeats it. He reminds, he commands, he encourages. Yes. And he often uses the phrase, dear friends, which is he's lovely. And as I was reading that, I've been in one, uh, the letters of John for a good few weeks now. I thought, yeah, I get that. That's, that's, yeah, I get that. God, God's love lives in me, I love you, that's, I get that. But then I asked myself this question, if that's the case, if it's so easy to get, why then does John feel the need to say it again and again and again and again? And I came to the conclusion, it, it is obvious and natural, but it's also something that has to be understood and outworked. Yeah, There's implications right. to it, if we understand it. So what we're going to do this morning, have we got loving, yeah, we've got it there, loving one another, I'm just going to look at the three whys, and it's more, not why do we do it, but why is it important for us to love one another? And then I'm going to give you three hows of how we love one another. I'm also going to throw in a couple of barriers to love just for good measure. <laughs> Chris told me to keep it to three. I've got six, so I feel like I'm, I'm okay there. <laughs> Two for the price of one. <laughs> so the way John words it, it tells us that it's important. It says, this is my commandment, love one another. And this is the one he's got straight from the mouth of Jesus. So don't turn to it in John's Gospel, 15, 12. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. I like to think that John's got that straight from the mouth of Jesus and it's gone right in. Because he's, he's saying it again and again. This is his commandment. John sees it as so very important that he puts it alongside believing in the name of Jesus. 
This is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So for him, it's right up there with believing in his name. So why is it important to us? Why can't I just love God and it's just me and him and we're having a great old time? It is important. The first reason which I find in 1 John is that his love finds full expression in us. Turn with me to 1 John 4, 11 to 12. We got it? Dear friends, dear friends again, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. That's been blowing my mind, that his love is brought to full expression in us. Because the more I thought about it, I thought, surely, surely the cross is the fullest expression of the love of God. Apparently not. (laughs) No, what I think it is, is the cross is the pinnacle. The cross is the pinnacle of God's love expressed. God's love for us, it's bursting to get out. So therefore it needs to get out into the world. Love, you see, can't be contained, particularly God's love. It's, It's his love, but it's made visible. It's made tangible in us, which is incredible. And if you look at the word expressed, other versions say things like his love is made perfect or his love is made complete. I like that word expressed. The word expressed is sort of to show or to manifest or to reveal. So our love is how God reveals himself. John Stott, who is um, a commentator, wrote this, and I'm just going to quote it because I really like how he puts this. Of this particular scripture, he says, that is the unseen God who once revealed himself in his son, now reveals himself in his people, if and when they love one another. God's love is seen in their love because their love is his love imparted to them by his spirit. The words do not mean that when we begin to love, God comes to dwell in us, but the reverse. Our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling presence. Really like how he says that. And here's the good news. Their love is his love. It's by the impartation of the Holy Spirit. We're not operating out of our own feeble human love. It's his love. Which makes me realize that an indwelling and a constant filling of the Holy Spirit therefore must be essential. In the loving of one another, we must have the Holy Spirit. F.F. Bruce, another commentator, I've read a few commentaries, said this. God's love for us, then, supplies the motive power for his people's love for one another. I love that. The motive power motivates us. The other implication is if if we accept that God's love finds fullest expression in us, the implication is that we can't then be alone. We need one another to express that. God's love doesn't operate in a vacuum. For it to find expression... We have to be planted. We have to be here. We can't... I don't think it works. If if it doesn't work, does it? You can't be a Christian on your own and and experience full salvation if if you're just in your house and there's no expression and outlet for the love of God. So, my first reason why is it so important, 
And to be honest, I could sit down now, but his love <laughs> finds full expression in us. The second reason is, John's really clear on this, it is a hallmark of salvation. Turn with me, please, to 1 John 3, 14 to 15. He says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. It proves that we have passed from death to life. It's not the miracles that prove it. It's not church attendance or how vibrant our worship it is. It's if we love our brothers and sisters. It's a hallmark of our salvation experience. And John talks quite a lot about this throughout all of his letters, particularly uh, the first letter. He talks about, very simply, this is how you tell children of God, they love each other. And so if, you, if you're not loving, you're not of God. This is how you tell children of the devil. And he even talks about a test, a simple test. It's the hallmark is the love. <clears throat> because there has to be an outward sign of the salvation. If I come into this church and... I'm not saved and I'm grumpy and I hate everybody. And then I get saved and I'm still grumpy and I still hate everybody. Well, where's the evidence? God's life in us is evidenced and love is the vehicle by which he evidences it. A little bit further down that same passage, he says, if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So not is it just that it's a hallmark of our salvation, but it is how the world recognises God. Don't need to turn to it, but again in the Gospel of John, 13.35, this is what Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's what Jesus said, it's your love that will prove. And if you think about that, that's interesting, because it's not your love for the world will prove you're my disciples. Jesus was outward looking so why is it our love for one another it is so in 1 John 3 and 1 shall I make you turn to it yes turn to it please 1 John 3 1 back in the letter see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are And then he says this, which is very interesting. But the people who belong to this world don't recognise that we are God's children because they don't know him. And what he's saying is, Jesus said it's by your love. But until until someone gets to know us, because we don't walk around with halos, we'll meet someone until they begin to know us, until God moves in them and they sense something different in us, sense the love of God in us, the outward expression is how we love one another. And, and believe me, it is, people are surprised and blown away by what we will do for one another. Yes, yes. That's how the world will see us yes, that's right. before we said anything. Because if they are, like Chris said last week, if they are bios, they are just the natural man, they're not, nec- they're not going to see a spiritual thing to begin with. What they're going to see and is in their understanding, yeah. oh, they really love each other. They do that for each other. They love being together. It's something that they can understand. And if that's true, then 
I guess we've got to be careful that we don't spend all our time loving the world, but equally we can't spend all our time loving each other and not expressing that outwards, because the world needs to see it, as we've said. It's how the world recognises us. And in the same way that God says, uh, not God, John says, um, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? I think in the same way, if we don't love people in here, how can we love out there? Everyone's really nice in here. But I do believe that one will flow from the other. I think one feeds into the other. I can't remember who said it at Momentum, whether it's John or David, said that the meeting place is the training ground for the marketplace. David commented it anyway, so it doesn't matter who said it. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? If we can't love in here and express that in here, how are we going to love the world with, with their lifestyles? And also, if this is true, another implication is we have to be really careful about how we talk about other believers. We talk about one another and other believers. Many years ago, when I was a very young Christian, I was in sixth form, and I had a group of friends, that, six or seven of us, that hung around together. And my friend Christine was a Mormon. And I was very unwise in front of a, another friend to say something quite derogatory about the Mormons, because I thought they were very weird and... I can't remember what I said. What I do remember is that he was really, really angry and upset with me. He didn't see any difference. He said, well, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Aren't you on the same side? Why are you saying that about her? And I was really challenged and convicted that, no, I can't say things like that. He just thinks we're the same. We're not the same. But they don't differentiate. They don't think, oh, they're Catholics, they're... If we say we bear the name of Christ, then we have to be really careful how we talk about each other. Because otherwise, how is anyone going to find that attractive? Absolutely. It's not going to be attractive if we're backstabbing, saying unpleasant things. And especially so in the same, if we're in the same fellowship, we're in the same house. So, it's a hallmark of salvation, which must mean it is really, really important. My third reason for why it's important. This is a bit of an odd one, but go with it. If you're looking for a selfish reason, here it is. It changes me. My loving you affects me. It changes me. It affects my walk. If you could turn, please, to 2 John 5 to 7. We're branching out into 2 John now. John 5 to 7. <clears throat> now this is almost verbatim what he said in 1 John, but I'm going to read it again. I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your reward. He says, I say this, I say this about loving one another because many deceivers have come into the world. And you can reason 
Was the reason that he said that, that by loving one another, we can bring that deceiver back into truth? Possibly. Or is it more that if I love you, you love me, we won't let each other be deceived. We won't allow that to happen. I'll do anything I can so you're not deceived or that you not fall away. And I think it's more that, but I actually think there's more that possibly... There's this level of protection for one another in the loving of one another that possibly I don't think we've quite grasped yet. There's a level where if we love each other, there is a protection. And not just because I won't let you do that, but there's a protection for us. So it benefits me and it changes me. Don't turn to this, but 1 John 3, and I'm reading this in the NIV, is another reason how it changes me. 1 John 3, 18 to 20, if you're writing it down. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We're going to come back to that scripture later. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So John is saying, by loving one another... It gives us assurance that we belong to the truth. And, as, as he says, we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So by loving, my heart is at rest before him. Because I'm assured that I'm living in the truth. And even if I feel guilty, or, my, or in other words, my conscience condemns me, there's this being at rest. And that's because of loving one another. That's not all about my relationship with him. That's about my giving and receiving of love to one another. The message puts this this, a little bit, a bit differently. So I'm just going to read this one. It says, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and he knows more about us than we do ourselves. I'm not even fully sure on that one, but I just, I just thought that was really good. And here's my first barrier to loving is self-criticism. He said it's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism. And I think it's a barrier because I think if we're full of self-criticism, we're probably more likely to criticise others. But more importantly we haven't really grasped the love of God, the gracious, eternal, never-ending, forgiving love of God if we're full of self-criticism. And I even like how he says, even when there's something to it, because of course we need to repent and there will be things where our conscience does condemn us, but God is greater than our worried hearts. So self-criticism, that's my first barrier to loving. So it benefits me by loving, I'm benefited, I'm changed. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 to 13. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your hearts strong, blameless and holy as we stand before God our Father. Do you see how he says that? May he, as a result of loving one another, make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy. You see, it helps me, there's a benefit to me. 
So there's my three why it's so important. <coughs> There's clearly millions more. But. Let's just be clear that we understand who we're supposed to be loving, because it would be quite easy then to say, well, that Christian over there in China, I really love them. That's marvellous, I love them. And we are called to love them, and we're called to pray for them. But the real loving, the nitty-gritty, is one another in this room, because we're in the same house. We're born into the same house. So, how do we love one another? And again, there's, you know, if we want to be here till Christmas, we could talk about how we love one another. But I've just picked out three (coughs) that have been speaking to me. So before I can go into that, I need to make sure we understand that everything is underpinned by the love of God working in us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not doing any of this in our own strength. But sometimes there's actions and decisions to be taken. John also says in his letter this little phrase, and it says, I haven't written down where it is, sorry. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So the closer we are to him, the more we'll love like him. So that's the first, it's not one of my three, but that's the how. If we are close to him, our love will grow more perfect because his love is perfect. So how do we love if you turn, please, to Hebrews 13, 1. <coughs> this is really short. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So the Greek word here is Philadelphia, or philo, or philos, depending whether it's a noun or a verb. And what it means is brotherly love, loving in a brotherly way, to show warm affection and intimate friendship, characterized by heartfelt consideration and kinship. And it's also the word used for friendship, close friendship, not used very often. Um, A commentator I read called Jack Zaveda put it like this, and again, I really like this. He says, the concept of brotherly affection that unites believers is unique to Christianity. As members of the body of Christ, we are family in a special sense. Christians are members of one family, the body of Christ. God is our father and we are all brothers and sisters. We ought to have a warm and devoted love for one another that catches the interest and attention of non-believers. So we're coming back to it's how the world recognizes us. I love that. We have a love for one another that catches the interest and attention of non-believers. So I started thinking about us being brothers and sisters and started thinking about the sibling relationship. And I thought, it's very unique, isn't it? There's not many relationships that are like that. People that are born into the same household and they share this DNA and um, um, that's us, we share a DNA because yeah. we're all born into this same house. Yeah. You know, no one came in by the back door. We all came in exactly the same way, which makes us all the same. Yeah. I don't care what you did before you came here, how you lived your life. We were all born into this house the same way. So we have this shared DNA, this shared parent. So then I started thinking about brothers and sisters and thinking how it's quite funny isn't it a funny relationship 
And when you're a child, there's three things you already understand about your brother or sister or your siblings. They're unwritten rules that nobody needs to tell you. You know this. The first one is, if I can annoy you, I will. <laughs> if I can get you into trouble with mum and dad, I will. And then finally, I can say the most awful things about my brother or sister, but if you try and say anything awful about them, I really don't like that. <laughs> that makes me really cross, and I seen it in myself and I've seen it in my own kids. We bristle, we don't, that's my brother, you can't... I thought you said you hate him. Yeah, I, I don't like him, but you can't say that. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And there's this kind of loyalty that is unbroken by, even if they're not getting on, there's this loyalty. So let's love each other with this loyalty that can't be broken. And defend one another. So let's not tolerate anything bad sent about one another. Let's bristle at it. Let's not like it. In a family with brothers and sisters, there's also kind of this acceptance, isn't there? They're kind of just there. Your brother and sister are there, but you don't question their presence. There's an acceptance. And there's also an acceptance that there's younger brothers and there's older sisters, that we're all different. It doesn't take a toddler very long after the first time they've tried to feed baby a burger or something. That, no, no, baby can't have that. Baby's too young for that. And we have to understand that some people are younger in the faith and we make allowances and we, make, we accept them. And the older brothers and sisters, you teach them and you train them. Sometimes you see natural siblings, one might teach the other to ride a bike or you, know, you train one another. And there is an understanding that doesn't really have to be taught that... Some are younger, some are older, some can do these things. I mean, it causes friction at times in the family. Let's understand that, that there's younger and there's older. You see, Paul tells us to bear with one another with love. Bear with one another. And let's be protective. <clears throat> Many years ago, I was on um, a night out with my big group of my friends and a big group of my brother's friends. I just have one brother, an older brother. And we were just walking... And somebody on a moped took great exception to something we'd done. We, we didn't know what. And this guy on the moped mounted the curb and started to try and run me over with his moped. Quite feebly, I have to say. But my brother is not a tall guy. He's not a big guy. He literally put himself in front of me in a moped and, you know, defended me. I don't think he even thought about it. He just did it. So let's be protective, let's defend, let's love in the way of brothers and sisters. And if you've got children, you've ever been a child, you'll understand this. Siblings are squabbling one minute, ten minutes later, it's forgotten, and they're playing really nicely. And if you're a parent, you say, why can't they always do that? They're forgotten. So let's love with short memories. Let's not remember, let's love with short memories. Let's not hold on to anything, and that's really important. So I kind of warmed to my theme of brothers and sisters. I thought, oh, this is good. This is great. And then I realized, brothers and sisters in the Bible, that's really complicated, isn't it? The sibling relationship in the word is quite strange. Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, the children of David. Complicated, complicated relationships. So I thought, well, okay, well, my analogy falls down a bit here. But I also realized that the root cause of all those was jealousy. 
one brother was jealous of what another brother had. One brother was jealous of the attention that the other one got. Can't be fighting for attention. And here's my other barrier <coughs> to loving one another is jealousy. It's, it's, it takes hold and it leads to sin in the case of the biblical. So when I say love as brothers and sisters, let's be specific. I just mean these areas. I don't mean we're supposed to squabble and wrestle on the floor because that's what children do. We can't be doing that. So that's a how. We love as brothers and sisters. The second how we love, let's turn to 1 John 3, 16 to 19, please. Back in 1 John. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion... How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. And that's just before we said that we then know. That's how we know. So the word for love here is agape, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. But actually, all the other times in the letters of John, this is the word he uses, agape love, different to filio love. And it's the love used to describe God's love. Here's a description of it. Agape love is unconditional. It's an initiative, not a response. It's not an impulse or a feeling. It's an act of your will. Agape love is not earned or merited. Agape love demonstrates love through actions. It does not require anything back which means it's not quid pro quo. You do that for me and then I'll do that for you. It doesn't work like that. Different from filial love. And actually, it's impossible. You can agape an enemy. You can't really filio an enemy. But most of the time, this is the love that John's talking about. It's agape love. And it says, lay your lives down. So we love sacrificially, but in action and in words. Which means it's really not talking about my Christian friend over in China, is it? If we're going to love sacrificially and in practical ways. Here's an instant where Filio and Agape met, just from my life. This one brother of mine, about five years ago, he was diagnosed with cancer of the kidney. And he had to have his kidney removed. So there was a period where they were testing his other kidney to make sure that that would function right because you can actually live perfectly well with just one. So as he was going through the test, I had a bit of a realisation. So me and my brother, we have no living blood relatives left. It's literally just me and him. And I thought, if he needs a kidney, my door's going to be knocking on. And I had this moment of, I think it was the middle of the night, thinking, I might be asked to donate a kidney. (laughs) What, What would I do? And then you'll all know, because you'd all be the same, did I think about that for more than two minutes? No, of course I didn't. Of course I give him a kidney. Do I want to give him a kidney? No, of course I don't want to give him a kidney. That sounds really painful and inconvenient and 
a lot of time in hospital, I can imagine. But of course, I didn't need to think about that. Why? He's my brother. Of course I give him. This is why you two loves meat. And sometimes that is what it's going to be. Sometimes it's going to cost us. Because if it is sacrificial, if it is practical, it's going to cost us. It's love in action. It's meeting each other's needs, whatever they might be. They might be money, like John said, if we see a brother in need. It might be food, it might be time, it might be practical help. It might just be getting alongside. But it will cost us more often than not. It might only cost me, it's unlikely to cost a kidney most of the time, but it might just cost me that, actually, I'd rather just stay at home and get a takeaway, but I'm going to cook you a meal instead. It might cost me. It's sacrificial. And if we accept that, and, and by the Holy Spirit we move in that, it kind of requires a few things of us. It requires us to do that and to look out for each other's needs, but it also requires us to be honest about our own needs. We need to tell people, don't tell everyone. That's not always appropriate. But the people in your life group, the people that you're showing love to and receiving love from, yeah. be honest about your own needs, whatever that might be. Yeah, and the other thing is, we can't really refuse that love through pride or, you know, I've, that's fine, I don't need that, I've got it together. I'm all together, I don't need that. Because then we rob ourselves of the blessing and then we rob them of the blessing. You know, Lord preserved us from being too together and super that we can't love each other in that way. It doesn't help, does it? I'll give you an example. Just before Bible Week, week before Bible Week, um, a wonderful sister in this room was asking me, oh, have you, have you packed for Bible Week yet? Have you started packing? And I said, oh, no. No, we've been on holiday. So I'm really behind with my washing really behind with everything and of all the weeks in the year this is the week I've agreed to work absolutely loads working every day and I don't know when it's all going to get done and I said it jokingly quite light-heartedly and she said all oh, right well I'll, I'll come and do some ironing for you no 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 you, know, you can't no you you've got work as well and you've got to pack I said no I'm going to come and do some ironing what are you doing Tuesday well, well I'm at work who's in okay the upshot is she came and did loads of ironing for me what a blessing fantastic blessing that was but if I'd have persisted in my pride and said no 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 I'd have robbed really robbed myself and and robbed her of doing that blessing for me it's a sacrificial love it's loving and meeting needs and actually refusing don't let us say no it's not saying no to that love and the last way that we can love sacrificially as in we lay down is we lay down our right to be offended it's a way that we are practically living sacrificial love. We let, lay down our right to be offended. And here's one way that that can manifest itself. is We all understand that we love in different ways, and if you're married, you'll understand there's this love languages, which essentially it says that most people will express love in the way that they like to receive love. And certainly in a marriage and sometimes with your children, understanding each other's love languages is quite important. But what we can't do is expect that from each other all the time. We can't put expectations on how we express love. I'll give you an example. Let's say Sarah made me a beautiful homemade card. She made it, she'd put beautiful things in it, given it to me. I would really appreciate that because I would know that took lots of time and effort. I cannot do back the same thing. 
rubbish at it. There's, there's not... There's no craftiness in me. I literally can't do that, and neither do I want to do that. <laughs> I'll do something else. This is the point. I'll maybe cook a meal, or I'll do something else. But here's the thing is, Sarah then can't get offended that I didn't love back in the same way. She then can't be a oh, I can't do that. She, she understands, actually, that's not Ellie's thing. She can't do that. But I'll show express love in a different way. Do you see? We love each other differently and we're all so different and I was thinking the other day there's nothing else that unites this group of people nothing except the love of Jesus you can't say oh they all love Jesus and they all support this team or they all love Jesus and they're all there's just nothing so we all are going to express ourselves differently and here's one way that we can't get offended if we don't get what we expect. Let's not put expectations on how we express love to one another. It's not helpful. It's not going to bless the world either, is it? And because we're all different, let's always take a, a stance that we assume the best. If you've messaged me and I haven't messaged you back, assume that I am I'm busy and I've forgotten and that I probably will. Don't assume that I don't love you because that's, that's just a lie. That's just a lie, isn't it? Don't make those assumptions. Assume the best. Assume yeah, all they're busy or they're this. Or if they didn't chase you up while you weren't at a life group, don't assume that you're not loved. Just assume that they'll get round to it. And they were probably thinking of you and they probably did miss you. But they maybe just didn't get the time to express that to you. So that's an important way of how we love one another. We love one another sacrificially and practically. And we need to look for ways to, to do that for one another actively. So my final how of how we love one another. This is a bit shorter, you'll be glad to know. Turn with me to 1 John 5, 16. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. So my final how is we love each other prayerfully, with prayer. What I like about this is that it's the first thing John says to do, is to pray. It doesn't say, if we go and tell them that they're in sin, or go and tell the elders that they're in sin. The first thing to do is pray for them. And it's really important that we do pray for one another and understand the power in that prayer for one another. We should be praying, and I challenge, really challenging myself on this as well, praying for God's best for everyone. Praying for God to, for what matters to you, for God to bless you in what matters to you, for your very best. I love how Paul prayed for people. I mean, he prayed some really extravagant prayers, didn't he? They were wonderful. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Never prayed little prayers, did he? Never prayed, pray you're okay. And, you know, he prayed those big prayers. He prays for revelation and understanding. And sometimes I think, and I know I do this, you focus very much on the need of that person and pray into their need at that moment. But actually we can neglect to pray that your hearts were flooded with light, that you'll have a revelation of Jesus, that you'll be successful. Understanding and wisdom. 
Paul again, he says this, you don't need to turn to it, Romans 12, 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, pray that God will bless them. If that's what we should be doing for those who persecute us, how much more should we be doing praying for one another? No one's persecuting anyone here. We should be praying for one another. And here's a little practical tip. If someone has annoyed you, which we will, we will maybe just every now and then get a bit annoyed with each other, pray for them. I solid guarantee here, you won't stay annoyed because your feelings will come into line with your prayers, especially if you start praying really extravagant, godly prayers for them. I can guarantee you, you will change how you feel because your feelings come into line with your prayers. Might not be straight away, but you keep doing that, I guarantee you it will change. So we pray for one another, and that's a really important how of how we live for one another. So, why is it important? Why does John say it so many times? Because the fullness of God's love is expressed in us. Because it's a hallmark of salvation. John's very clear, if you don't have the love, you you don't have God. And it's also how the world recognises that we are his. And it's important because it affects me and it changes me. It makes me more as God would want me to be. And then how do we love? Like I say, there's a million answers to that. And actually the world's full of great ways to love one another. And I haven't been prescriptive. But we love as brothers and sisters. But we also love sacrificially and with actions, practically. And we love prayerfully. Can we just pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love working in us. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help each one of us to love one another. Give us a revelation of the importance of your love operating. Let us show to the world that as we love one another, that we are your children. We pray, Lord, that you would fulfill and bless and honour all the relationships that we have here in this room. And that we would show everybody, by our love, that you are Lord of our life. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.